0: Welcome, I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda
1: Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. My name is Olivia Wan, and I'll be your moderator today. As the Compliance Divas, we bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or visit our website at thecompliancedivas.com. Resources that we mentioned during the podcast can be found on the Compliance Divas website, thecompliancedivas.com. Please submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. So we thought it would be very appropriate to discuss common support questions that we receive week to week at our individual offices. And one of the questions that we've received lately is how long do we retain different components of employee records? And it might be easier if we divided the employee records or personnel records into segments. I'd like to interview Mary first to talk about the OSHA medical record. It seems like there's some confusion, Mary, with the OSHA medical record and the patient medical history. Can you explain that to us, please?
2: Absolutely. A patient medical history, um, which is usually part of a registration form, is, is for treatment um, of an individual in a practice. So that is completely separate from OSHA required documentation. And one of the biggest confusion points I see are people, people practices having a personnel file for every employee into which they put medical records, things like documentation of hepatitis B vaccine or a report um, of a, an exposure incident and follow up. And those should not be kept in a personnel file. That is classified by OSHA as confidential medical information. And there has to be limited access to that information, limited to the practice administrator, obviously the doctor employer, and that employee that it pertains to. So, even though perhaps those file folders, one that's a personnel file and one that's a confidential medical file, might be stored if they're paper records in the same file cabinet, you can't commingle that information in those records. So you again, you would need uh, documentation of hepatitis B vaccine or declination if somebody has chosen not to, any type of exposure incident reports or other type of injury reports that may have required medical treatment. Maybe someone cut themselves. Um, with a non-contaminated instrument and maybe needed um, some sutures or something that's a work-related injury, that would go in that employee uh, confidential medical file or medical record. Now, if you wanted to store those electronically, you can do that, but you then have to password protect the file folder to limit access to that file.
1: That's great information, Mary, thank you. So hopefully people will have a clear understanding about the OSHA medical record and what it contains and that it is not the same as the patient medical history. And also the point about retaining the record 30 years past the final employment date, which seems to be problematic in a lot of offices because they're not saving this critical paperwork. Linda, I'd love to get your perspective about payroll records and how long do we keep those records and what does that consist of? Well, Sure, Olivia,
3: as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, it's good for our listeners to categorize or group their different types of records they're keeping related to employees. So payroll records is one very important category of um, documentation to maintain. And according to the Department of Labor, the U.S. Department of Labor, which is uh, under the Federal, the Fair Labor and Standards Act, employers must keep all payroll records and sales and purchase records for at least three years. The Department of Labor requires employers to keep wage records as well, such as time cards, uh, wage rate tables, which might be something that their CPA is helping them with uh, when it comes to uh, whichever company they're using, or a payroll company, uh, to um, sort out and uh, do the payroll for them every every two weeks, or week, whatever it is. Also keeping job evaluations or performance reviews, work schedules. But work schedules may not be such a big thing, Olivia, for our smaller dental practice or even a group dental practice if the work schedule is pretty much the same across all locations. But we know that with so many changes um, in the dental industry and just the employment landscape in general, that some offices may have evening hours or weekend hours and they may have employees that are working split shifts, for example. So those work schedules would be important to maintain in that case. And then any records of wage changes, um, keeping those as well. So three years here is the rule of thumb. Unless there is something different, according to a state law, that requires more time. Or maybe if um, the payroll company or the CPA has recommended to keep it longer from uh, for some other specific reason. But otherwise, it's three years from um three years in general, Olivia.
1: Great, Linda. So thank you for clarifying that. So for non-exempt employees, which are the hourly employees, even if they're paid by the day, but they're considered hourly, we have to keep those time records. And Linda, I remember several years ago when the Department of Labor actually audited a dental practice and they evaluated all of the time records. Let's switch gears just a bit I'd like to get Leslie's thoughts on the I-9 and how long do we retain that important documentation, Leslie? And what is the I-9?
0: An I-9, it's actually a form that's used to verify identity and employment authorization of an individual that a dentist might hire uh, in the United States. And US employers uh, have to make sure that each individual they hire uh, completes the form and provides adequate documentation. And uh, it this includes whether they're a, a citizen or a non-citizen. So the documentation, I'll go through what is considered adequate documentation, uh, but both the employee and the employers have a part to fill out on this form. Uh, the employee has to attest to their employment authorization and must... Imp- Present to the employer acceptable documents that it evidences their identity. So they uh, provide on an I-9 form, there's a list. So the employer doesn't have to memorize this. It's always on the back of the I-9 form. There's a list that says that uh, a passport is an acceptable uh, way to establish identity and employment authorization if it's a U.S. passport or a permanent resident card. And then there's also for people who maybe don't have a passport, a U.S. driver license that's issued by a state. Uh, And then another piece of information, a document like a social security account number. Uh, if, If there's a school ID with a photograph and a social security account number, that's good too, or card. And then we sometimes don't think about that we hire maybe family members that are on payroll. And even though they're family members and we know that they were born, (laughs) we know what day they were born in the United States and we know that they're ours, uh, we still have to have that documentation. So uh, for someone under 18, that might be their school record or report card plus a social security card, or it may even be if they don't have uh, information from a school report card or record or transcript, a clinic, doctor or hospital record, and even get this Olivia A daycare or nursery school record. So we don't want to forget about our our younger team members. I remember when I first started in dentistry, I was about 12 years old and I worked for my father as a dentist. Now, uh, when it comes to uh, how long to keep a form, uh, that's pretty important as well. Employers are required to keep I-9 forms for at least one year after termination or three years after the hire date, whichever is later.
1: Thank you so much for sharing that information. And and also a little tidbit is to keep the I-9 separate from the personnel record. So they should be stored in an individual record for the I-9 so that if a practice is audited, they do not have access to other documentation that we've been talking about. So we've talked about some of the OSHA documentation, personnel records, Department of Labor. Mary, what about HIPAA documentation? What can you share with us about HIPAA?
2: I can share a number of things, but I wanna go back to the I-9 for just a second. And I'm glad you mentioned about keeping the I-9 forms separate from the personnel records. Actually what the um Department of Labor and the um, Department of Homeland Security want is all of the I-9 forms for all of the employees to be kept in one common folder so that if your practice gets audited, you pull out that one folder, and then they have access to everything so people aren't, you know, scrambling around to collect things. And this year, there is a new form that is also electronic, it's PDF fillable. So that makes it a little easier. And if you're a practice that's transitioning to keeping more electronic records, then that would be a big um, a big help. So let's switch gears and talk about HIPAA documentation. All of the HIPAA documentation that you have regarding employees should be kept on file for at least six years. If you choose to keep it for longer, that's fine. And I'll talk about what some of those documents are. Um, I have become a big advocate of trying to get away from paper documentation and having these records electronic, um, in electronic format. And so, of course, we need to make sure that anything we do is um, stored on a special drive on the server, so that and that it's part of the backup, so you don't lose it. One of the recommendations from HIPAA is that we have confidentiality agreements with employees so that they acknowledge in writing to their employer that they will honor the privacy of um, all of the patient information and that they will not violate HIPAA privacy or security rules. And in terms of security, every practice should also on HIPAA's recommendation have agreements about the use of the computers that they will not use the office computers for anything other than the business of the practice that they don't do, check their personal email, they don't go to their personal social media pages and they don't do their own personal shopping or download files and so forth. So those are two very critical documents of course along with training records. So training should happen as part of onboarding employees into the practice, that they get initial HIPAA training in the practice, and then any time that there are significant changes, or at least on an annual basis. So training records, confidentiality agreements, computer use agreements. Anything else, Olivia, that you would add to that?
1: No, I I think you summarized that very well, and it does raise that awareness when an employee signs a confidentiality agreement or a computer usage agreement. So it's very reasonable for an employer to ask for that paperwork. Uh, Like all of you, the fellow divas, we deal with OSHA violations and work through them for our clients. And I have had several lately where offices were cited on their OSHA training record or lack thereof. Linda, can you tell us about the OSHA training roster, how long to keep it, and some of the special components that is required? Sure, Olivia.
3: The OSHA training roster is different than a CE certificate. We know that a lot of times um, dental practices like to go and hear what's the, the latest updates and they like to go to a seminar and come home with the CE certificate and put that in their OSHA book as their training record. But OSHA wants to see an actual training roster that shows that you've been reviewing and you've updated your personal policies and procedures for OSHA, not just necessarily attending a CE course only. Those training rosters or training records should be kept for three years from related to the OSHA standards. Now this is different now than what Mary just mentioned for HIPAA documentation, and it does fall in line with what I mentioned from the Department of Labor as far as keeping personnel records for three years. So the training roster must have some specific information on it, the name of the trainer, the qualifications, the topics discussed, and then the signatures and position of each individual that attends the training. So it's very important to have the required elements on those training records, Olivia, because as you mentioned, when there's an unannounced inspection from OSHA, they're gonna get dinged on not having the proper training records in place. So I would like to mention that when we've talked about the areas today, OSHA medical records and payroll records, i 9 HIPAA, training rosters, it's really a good idea for our listeners to have some kind of Grid or chart, if you will, of the different types of records that they're retaining, and ideally have some type of policy retention policy or procedure so they know how long everything is to be kept for because when they onboard new employees, or someone new in an HR role, or, or maybe just um, Someone within the practice gets promoted to a new position. This gives them some extra information to work from and then to build their expertise. And we also have to bear in mind that many of the employers are multi-state now with the growth of DSOs and group practices. So they need to bear in mind, um, have a flexible policy that's applicable to all the different states that they're um, located in. So just some things to keep in mind for our listeners, Olivia.
1: Thank you, Linda. And and that's a good point about the DSOs. I recently addressed a support question on the same topic because there's a need for (laughs) complying whatever state labor laws they're working in. So that brings a whole new layer to it. And I like the suggestion of staying organized so we can keep up with the expiration of these documents. And that's another good reason, as Mary pointed out, to retain the documentation in electronic format. And then it doesn't matter if you've kept them years and years on end, we have everything in place to show that we pass the requirement uh, by keeping the documentation in order. So this has been a very timely subject to discuss among the divas. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating regulatory compliance to keep you on course. Please submit your questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. Any resources that we mentioned, such as websites that you can access for further information, will be available on our website. Thanks again.